Merry Christmas! And then this gets Christmas. Our friends at Arts. The broadcast we nothing. We everybody say. And today I take it over. No comments. Just Toy Story. The freezer is down. All people. Oh no! I hear Daddy. Uh oh! Let's go. He he's coming. Always nice to have a drink and snack before we podcast. Yep, everything starts on the right foot. The boys went down so easy tonight. What a blessing! Yeah, especially the littlest, almost too easily. Oh, hey, did you hit record before we ate our snack? Oh, huh, it is recording. I guess I did. Oh well, we can always trim it in post. Well, now that our very well-behaved, perfect children are in bed, are you ready to talk about comics? Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our second and final episode covering Sins of Youth, Young Justice. Yes. I I think it goes goes other way around. Young (laughs) Justice, Sins of Youth. Young Justice, colon, Sins of Youth. The youth are sinning. Sinning to winning. The The justice is young. The justice is young. I love that. The night is young. The ju- well, you know, the justice is young. You ready to go stop some more bad guys, sweetheart? The justice is young. <laughs> uh, did they ever do something like big justice in a small package? That seems like something that they'd put on like the, the movie poster. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. Or in a league of their own. That was already a movie. No, I don't think so. It was a good one. Mm, I think there was a lot of crying in baseball. There were also skirts. <laughs> like a lot of skirts. <laughs> anyway, we forgot to say last episode, but this was a listener request requested by Christian. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Christian. Um, this is actually, this is our very last listener request. We have one where technically it's a listener request because I asked everybody to put in their choices for voting and only one person put theirs in, but we usually don't shout those out, so... All right. There will be one eventually. <laughs> yeah. Coming, man, coming to the end of the listener request. And then we've just got like we got stuff that, stuff that is on the list stuff that we that have to do. I want to do. To be complete and whole Chris's <laughs> on earths that are infinite. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. You ready to get into the summary? It's a big one. Let's get into the summary. Reminder, Eddie Berganza edited some of this. I'm not going to mention him again. He was fired from DC from credible allegations of abuse and harassment. Sins of Youth, Kid Flash, and Impulse Number 1, written by Dwayne McDuffie, penciled by Angel Unzeta, inked by Jamie Mendoza, colored by Moose Bauman, lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, edited by Mike McAvaney and L.A. Williams. 
As the flashes run, Kid Flash decides to go resume his honeymoon in Paris with his lovely wife, Linda, while Impulse goes to see his mentor slash guardian, Max Mercury. They separately fill their loved ones in on the situation before deciding it's time for a positive press tour, and they meet with press agent Ted Barton. Ted decides to do a big stunt where the flashes do tons of interviews in one hour. Unfortunately, there are several natural disasters and crimes taking place during this specific hour, and the flashes end up missing or cutting short nearly every single interview. Their last act of heroism is stopping a tesseract-forming villain called the Folded Man, but they still end up kind of looking like menaces. The Flashes decide that it's always better to do good, even if you end up looking bad. And as the issue closes, Clarion the Witch Boy finds Captain Cold and turns him into a kid. Sins of Youth, Star Woman and the JSA Number 1, written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Drew Johnson, inked by Rich Faber and Rodney Ramos, colored by Joe Rosas, lettered by Albert de Guzman and Dave Lamphere, edited by Maureen McTeague and Mike McAvaney. We're back to poor Star Woman, who has decided to take the now all-kids JSA to Planet Merg with her to get another of Doiby Dickles' aging guns. She has to constantly stop the kids from goofing around with their very real powers. She tries to ask Mary of Old Justice about Mary's brother Sylvester, who was the original Star-Spangled Kid. Mary instead yells at Star Woman for disrespecting his legacy. Hooray! After more hijinks, including almost crashing into an asteroid belt, they arrive at Merg, a planet that looks a lot like New York City. Doiby tells the gang the aging gun is in the royal palace, but Doiby is a wanted man on Merg after a coup by a man named Prince Mariab stole his wife and his crown. Anyway, after landing, several JSA members see there's a version of Coney Island nearby and run off. This leaves our other members, including Doiby, Mary, and Star Woman, to be captured and placed into a stasis field. Sandy the Golden Boy, who evaded capture, goes to the Coney Island Park and tells his friends what happened. And the little robot Stripes turns their roller coaster cart into a hovercraft and they zoom off. As Doiby is nearly executed, Star Woman hypes up Dr. Fate, and he uses his magic despite his childlike reservations. They bust free as the other JSA crew arrives, and a fight ensues. Doiby and Green Lantern grab the aging gun, and the crew zips off into space. The whole kid crew needs a nap, and Star Woman nods off as well. Mary, impressed with Star Woman's leadership back on the planet, covers her up with a blanket. And back on Earth, Clarion busts Black Adam out of the Department of Extranormal Operations custody, but of course, turns him into a kid too. Young Justice, Superman Jr. and Superboy Sr. Number 1. Written by Carl Kiesel, penciled and inked by Rob Haynes, colored by David Self, lettered by Ken Lopez, and edited by Mike McAvaney. Okay, for the purposes of this summary, Superboy will be Clark, and Superman will be Connor. Anyway, in Metropolis, Superboy tries to stop a giant spider robot, but he's a little reckless and a little beaten up. Superman swoops in to save the day, but is having a little trouble adjusting to some new powers he's picked up, such as heat vision. Also, journalists on the scene call them both menaces. The two hang out afterward, talking together about their problems. Superman mentions that the agenda killed his girlfriend, Tana. Anyway, we flash to the agenda, where the Contessa gives a mission to Match, the Grey Lady, and Blockade to retrieve the Supermen. Grey Lady remarks that Metropolis is where she came from, and Contessa remarks that the Lady's familiarity with Metropolis is why she's leading the mission. We get a Clarion interlude where he turns Maxima into a teen. 
Connor attempts to pretend to be Clark on the phone with Lois, but it ends up sounding more like a prank phone call. The Point Men arrive and attack our heroes. While Superboy struggles with fighting Blockade, Superman takes on Match. Superboy gets heckled for not being as capable as Superman as he fights, but eventually takes down Blockade. Superman is on the ropes against Match, who taunts him about his dead love, but then Superman activates his heat vision and smokes Match into submission. Oh, what's Grey Lady doing? She seems to recognize some civilians who were just hanging out, and this kind of confuses her. In the melee, a giant building collapses on Blockade and Superboy. Superman discovers he now has full telekinesis powers and lifts the building off. However, Clark is pretty injured, so Connor surrenders to Grey Lady in exchange for medical care. Sins of Youth, Wonder Girls, number one. Written by Brian K. Vaughn, penciled by Scott Collins, inked by Chris Ivey, colored by Rick Taylor, lettered by Ken Lopez, and edited by Maureen McTeague. After Diana interrupts some war games, thinking that it's real war, Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl head back to Cassie's house to change clothes after some soldiers make inappropriate comments about Cassie in the Wonder Woman outfit. Cassie changes into Donna Troy's red costume, and Diana changes into an old Wonder Girl costume. Cassie's mom nearly shoots Cassie, not realizing it's her, but the gun turns out to be a realistic-looking water gun, and Cassie explains the situation. Diana explains that Zeus can alter their ages back, so it's time to find him. They head to a museum of antiquity where Diana uses an ancient brazier to conduct a ritual to contact Zeus. Unfortunately, Zeus isn't there, and they get Apollo instead. He tells them that he doesn't just do things for free, and he'll change them back if they retrieve his helmet from a monster called Cyclon before the sun rises. Clarion, in another interlude, turns Diana's sphinx friend into a kid for further mayhem. The Wonder Duo travel to the Aegean Sea, where they find Cyclon on an island. They battle him for a while, but things are looking kind of dire. Cassie tells Diana to try to talk to Cyclon, and that does the trick. Cyclon was actually kicked out of his family for being too sweet and gentle, and the helmet was given to him by Apollo with the instructions to give it to whoever asks, but to kill whoever tries to take it. With the helmet in hand, they bid the sweet monster adieu, but... Agenda helicopters arrive to take them into custody after proclaiming they've caught Superboy. Turns out Apollo gave away their location because he's a jerk. Cassie, not wanting to abandon Superboy, surrenders. Sins of Youth, Secret and Dead Boy, number one. Written by Todd DeZago, penciled by Michael Avin Oming, inked by Jason Bumgardner, colored by Pat Garahay and Digital Chameleon, lettered by Bill Oakley, and edited by Maureen McTeague. Clarion seems to have turned a bunch of houses and cars in the areas around Washington, D.C. into some sort of creepy anthropomorphic cartoon creatures, and Secret and Dead Boy are trying to track him down. Dead Boy gets sidetracked and possesses a teen bully who is picking on some kids, making him humiliate himself before leaving with Secret. Clarion takes all his pint-sized supervillains to a circus to have some fun. Uh, that's nice, I guess. Dead Boy and Secret are the only ones who can see the trail of Clarion's magic, and they save people beset by the strange possessed objects as they follow the trail. The trail ends with Teekle, Clarion's cat familiar, and Secret manages to use her powers to jump after Teekle, 
after the cat lady teleports. Dead Boy, who used to work in a circus, is immediately entranced, leaving Secret to try to get Clarion. She zooms after Tickle, but the cat was a distraction, and Clarion imprisons Secret in a locked box. Secret starts to panic as she recalls her youth imprisoned by the DEO, but she overcomes her fears and turns fully into smoke, escaping the box. She tries to teleport Clarion into an abyss, but he easily returns. Dead Boy comes to his senses to help, but things are not going well for our heroes. Recalling their encounter with the bully from earlier, they instead decide to change the rules. Dead Boy possesses Tickle, and the two zoom off, leaving Clarion fuming mad. Young Justice Sins of Youth number 2. Written by Peter David, penciled by Todd Nock, inked by Larry Stucker, colored by Jason Wright, lettered by Ken Lopez, and edited by Maureen McTeague. Tim Drake surreptitiously has a drink with his dad, who of course doesn't recognize him, as they discuss the recent news. His dad is not quite as hard on the kids as the news is, which warms Tim's heart. They head back to the cave hideout, and Doiby attempts to turn everyone back to normal. It doesn't work, however, since they need Clarion's magic in addition to the science gun. Secret and Dead Boy, the latter of which is still possessing Teagle, are on the run from Clarion, who has brought a bunch of Pokemon pastiche monsters to life to chase them. At Agenda HQ, the captured Superman breaks free and grabs their radio, phoning into the Justice League on all frequencies and explaining how the Agenda's been to blame for everything. He is unfortunately quickly captured by the Point Men. Grey Lady asks Contessa why she recognized someone who looks just like her in Metropolis, and Contessa explains it's because Grey Lady is a clone, and didn't have a life before her creation. Contessa's kinda mean. Also, unfortunately, the League is busy battling the transformed creatures and pint-sized supervillains that Clarion has wrought. Contessa calls Clarion and demands that he teleport all his minions to Agenda HQ in Alaska, and the kid obeys. Secret and Dead Boy arrive at the hideout with the still-subdued Teakle. The rest of the heroes arrive just in time to see Connor's message, and Robin begins to make a plan. At Agenda HQ, the bad guys are performing diagnostic tests on Connor and Cassie, and the point men confront the Contessa, who very much does not care about her expendable clones. Outside, Clarion spots the League, who has his captured Teakle. His powers wane without her, and he demands her back. Secret demands he turn everyone back or she'll kill Teekle. Obviously, she would never do that, but a tearful Clarion agrees. At least until the arrival of Clarion the Witch Man, a clone of Clarion created by the Agenda. He blasts the Witch Boy, and the villains join with the Witch Man to battle the heroes. A fight ensues both outside in the snow and in Agenda HQ as the Point Men rebel and free the Wonders and Supers. Connor nearly kills the Contessa, but Cassie stops him and reminds him that that's not what they're about. The heroes subdue the witch man in time for Teekle to join the witch boy, and Clarion annihilates his clone and teleports the bad guys away. He says he's not actually going to turn anyone back to normal until Teekle yowls at him. He says he's only going to turn everyone back, and Secret objects, saying she wants to stay as an adult. Robin assures Secret that even as a teen, they'll all take care of her and be there for her. She agrees to turn back, and the magic and science are used to turn everyone else back. All's well that ends well, and everyone learns that young people and old people can learn from each other. All's well, of course, except Lobo, who was off Earth when Clarion used his magic and is still a teen. So, Christy, what did you think about the second part? I feel like the second part, I kind of got a better grasp of what they were really looking to do with all of the the middle issues between our, our two bookends. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite sense the theme in the first half. 
the what would you say that the the theme is what would you say the theme is the theme is definitely gaining understand like the heroes gaining understanding of their younger counterparts through this age swap and gaining a new appreciation and an understanding for each other mm-hmm. it's kind of a big walk a mile in another person's shoes event that's just designed to give all of these characters that don't necessarily get these normal sorts of beats together in their, their typical issues to get some time. Right. So is sins of youth, like a, like a saying that I don't know. Uh, I mean, let, let, Let's check and see how common a phrase that is. I've just I feel never like heard, heard of it, it, and I'm like, what sins did they do? The, like, I thought this was going to be, I thought this was going to be like, the youth have done some terrible, horrible thing. But instead it's like, they showed up about how <laughs> youth should not be, like, accosted by adults for everything they do. And they got rewarded by being turned into adults. Yeah, so... This is definitely dissimilar from uh, Sins of Our Youth, which was a 2014 thriller drama about four teenagers who accidentally murder a younger boy. Yeah, Sins of Our Youth came out after Sins of Youth. Right, uh-huh. right. So so when you search Sins of Youth, that's you're, you get like the crossover in that. Uh, so, oh, I think it comes from, I think it's biblical. Oh. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Okay. Gotta love a biblical comic title. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess the sentiment is here, the sins that you commit as a youth, and sins being very broad term, are excusable as you age and learn. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to make mistakes because you're young. Right. Like Cassie wearing the goggles all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's is easy for adults to forget that sometimes you just wear a lot of goggles, <laughs> and sometimes the hormones are just real hard. Uh-huh. Like you know, if you just suddenly had to deal with those hormones again, like what would you even be doing? Uh, eating Doritos. <laughs> oh, oh, like all of those adults who go who who transition and go through like a second puberty mm-hmm. like this some of these these adults are plunged into a second puberty totally by surprise they are um so unlike the last bit where we have that strange little superboy tie-in that seemed like kind of out of uh, out of phase with the rest of everything these are all very like everybody has a pair right they do mm-hmm. they do they're very synced up with and that that's just how it happened to be with this reading order. I don't know that like they intentionally set up the issues to read that way because the theme became clear in the back half mm-hmm. of these because we had green lagoon boy and aqua lad, but they were they were both young. They weren't matched up with like a teen counterpart that was no uh, swap. Lago- lagoon man. Oh, became I guess. An adult. Oh, I guess that's true. But he didn't like. There wasn't like a lot of friction between them, right? They were kind of. It was kind of a bro down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. I'd say the closest analog to that is the one, the the one that's called Wonder Girls, which it is wild to me that we got Superman Junior and Superboy Senior, and then Wonder Girls. 
Like we just had to be very diminutive. I, I kind of noticed that. I don't, yeah. We don't need to focus Wonder on it Women the time. was right there. Wonder Wonder Women. You just had to want change one letter. Yeah, you have to add an H to the beginning of Wonder Women. <laughs> <laughs> what was your? Did you have a favorite in this back half of the paired up tie-ins? Um, I liked um, some ones for different reasons, but I think Wonder Girls might have been my favorite because it embraced like one of my favorite forms of storytelling in superhero comics, which is giving up at the end. No. Okay. No. Which was alternative solutions to fighting. Oh. Because mm-hmm. they go up against this giant like Cyclops Medusa hybrid. Yeah. That they they assume they've just got to go punch him up, but it turns out the answer was just speaking his language, and he actually wasn't wasn't a violent or bad dude. Which was ancient Greek, and luckily Wonder Woman Diana knows ancient Greek. Right, right. It was, and he's like, "What?" It was a fun alternative method of problem solving. I enjoy that, especially in an event comic. You don't normally get normally solutions it's like, like that. High on punching, yes, it is. Like, if, like, there's a one to ten punching, events mm-hmm. are, like, the tennist. Mm-hmm. Plus, Cassie had some nice moments with her mom. I like Cassie's mom. Yeah. Cassie's mom, who is ready to kill. <laughs> with a squirt gun. With a squirt gun. I really liked the Flash issues. Dwayne McDuffie wrote those, and I really like Dwayne McDuffie. Mm. Dwayne McDuffie invented a lot of really cool stuff. He did Milestone comics. Mm-hmm. He was behind a lot of, like, the Justice League cartoon. Right. And uh, he invented damage control for Marvel, which is mm-hmm. the group of people who are like the insurance people mm. for when stuff goes, or like the cleanup people. See, I enjoyed the Flash issue, but a beat in there I could have done without, and I know they had to address it because the Flash was on his honeymoon, mm-hmm. but like the whole meet up with the wife and it's our honeymoon, but you're a teenager and like, yeah, it's kind of like goofs. But, I thought they handled it pretty tactfully. I mean, yes, it's ta- not that it's untactful, but like, was it compelling storytelling? Like, it's more like a, oh, what if your husband got turned into a teenager on your honeymoon? What would that look like? A yuck, yuck, yuck. That I just like that at the end, she gave him a hug and told him it was going to be all right. I thought that was sweet. That That was very sweet, but it was also filled with. Oh, teen hormone emotions. Yeah, I guess I, I like when that scene started, I thought it would bother me more. Right. And I, I ended up being kind of okay with it. I just liked the like, sometimes flash comics to me don't read like I feel like a flash comic should. And I felt like this did. It felt frenetic. Like they were like, boom, in this place, boom, in this place. Oh, we missed this interview. Which like. I see, I enjoyed that bit of it. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed, I could have done with more. Flash and Kid Flash interaction. Uh-huh. I I think that was where it really sung. And so I'm not trying to say that that beat on the honeymoon was bad. Uh-huh. For me, it just detracted from what I found most fun about the issue. Oh, okay, okay. It just reminded me. I've read um, some Silver Age Flash, and the the whole like the the yucks in Silver Age Flash are that even though Barry's the fastest man alive, he always seems to be late to, like, dates with with Iris. Yeah. Because he's saving the world. Right. When you can do everything so fast, you want to just do everything. Right. And she's always like, why are you always so late? God, she, they, they, they write her like, why would Barry date this woman? 
To be fair, she also puts up with the fact that he's late all the time, so I don't know, but... Right? It just reminded me of that, but it was a, you know, kind of writ large. I did like the the PR guy a lot, too. I felt like he had, like, one page, but it was... He had so much personality in it. You knew exactly who he was. He was very well-written. I liked the Wonder Girls one, too. I think the thing that was holding back Superman Jr. and Superboy Sr. was that art. It was just, like... Mm, I just did not like it. The Rob Haynes art? Yeah. Yeah, it was... And I'm trying to remember for me if it was more the the pencils there or if it was the coloring that was a little flat. For me, it was the pencils. Everybody looked like a Muppet. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I see that. <laughs> and you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's bad. It just wasn't to my taste. Mm-hmm. I just, but I just don't feel like it sold the Superman stuff to me. Like it, it things didn't feel big and punchy. Mm-hmm. They felt like wah. Well, and and that's true because both of them seemed were out of control of their their powers. They didn't have a good grasp on what was going true. on. Superman as younger. You know, what didn't have his full strength and was much more vulnerable. Uh-huh. And Superboy, as an adult, is tapping into all of these brand new powers that he has no control over. And they're not even the same powers that, like, Superman Kal-El normally has. Right. They're, like, weird extra powers. Right. Because Superboy has tactile telekinesis, which is if he touches something, he <laughs> can just, like, move it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It's supposed to explain how you can do things like pick up a car Right. And it doesn't just crack in half. Mm-hmm. But then he gets like full telekinesis right. for a little bit. So the Superman issues, what they're grappling with, isn't like, you know, the maturity that comes with age. It is strictly their power set, which perhaps right. makes a lot of sense given that Superboy has just been like trapped in a 16 year old body. And I mean, he, maybe does have some. He's, I mean, he's like four years old in, in like real life or something. Like, he's not. <laughs> But I, I think that Superman thought that he was just like a wild thing, mm-hmm. like out of control teen, but then just learned like, oh, he is, but it's not his fault. Right. And I think that was that was more interesting and in that it was not understanding. It felt less about understanding like weird teenagehood and literally just like understanding like the teenage body. Right. Right. Which like isn't a, isn't a bad perspective to examine. It was just different than what we saw with yeah. a lot of the other heroes god when i was a teen i had such big feet my feet were like way way too big for me for a little (laughs) while like when i was five two i think i had like my size 10 shoes right (laughs) and like my shoes never grew just the rest of me did so i just had these like i was like a little clown child (laughs) teenagehood is awkward it's so weird it's very awkward uh so the the meat of like the I guess story advancing the the overall plot yeah. of the event mm-hmm. happened in the Star Woman in the JSA, and then the final like wrap up yeah, issues. Yeah, that one. Well, and and to some extent, I feel like in Secret Secret and Dead Boy, because Secret and Dead oh, Boy's whole yeah. deal is they get the cat. Yes, and they have the cat. They get Tico right. to hold hostage, who can turn into like a lady, like a cat lady. Like mm-hmm. and by cat lady, I mean like an anthropomorphic lady who's cat like. And then mm-hmm. also, like, a cat. She starred in the musical Cats. <laughs> she did kind of look like she was about to start breaking out with, like, <laughs> Mr. Mistopheles or something. Listen, we had a circus. Uh, 
Uh, and that, that issue was mostly about like secret kind of loving being an adult, which I thought was interesting. Um, but anyway, they get the cat. Star Woman was about how poor Star Girl just could not catch a break trying to like live up to her elders. Right. In the JSA. Uh, but eventually does, and they get the the shrink ray. And I love that they go to the planet, and Doiby has a princess wife. Yep. And she's like, "I loves you, Doiby Dickles." <laughs> she's great. You mentioned her in our last episode, and I hadn't gotten to read or you know, just, her yet. But I love that he went to this planet and decided he was going to make it like 1930s New York, <laughs> and the whole planet's like that. It's great. Yep. His name is actually Derby, by the way. Everybody just calls him Doiby, including himself. Oh. Yeah. Okay. His name is not actually Doiby, but everybody says Doiby. Okay, well, last time you told me it actually was Doiby. No, I learned it. I, I just said it was actually Doiby because everybody just calls him that. And and I think everybody called him that, but it, I think there's like some some behind the scenes like, his name's obviously Derby. No one, No one's name is actually Doiby. Well, now I feel like you are just, you have a revisionist history here because I'm, I'm, I thought it was firmly established that it really was Doiby and not Derby. And now I feel lied to by you. You need to do some independent research. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about the big ending thing with the like uh, Clarion, b- 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 the witch boy, um, <laughs> getting all the villains to hang out in Alaska? The Contessa seemed to have something on him. I feel like we never fully established why she was able to make him do things. She just convinced him it would be fun. Right, but then remember she was like, he was like, well, I don't want to do it anymore. And she's like, oh? And he's like, fine, fine, fine. Like, I don't know. It, it, it felt like she, she like had a hold on him. That's how it felt to me. Hmm. You did not feel that way. No, I felt like he was just doing this for the yucks. And when he said, I didn't want to do, th- I don't want to do this anymore. She's like, well, we've got a big you now. They have Clarion the Witch Man. That's true. What a reveal. Right? And then Clarion, like, murders him. <laughs> like, in the ensuing battle. Yeah. Which, the setup with getting all of, like, the young supervillains throughout this, I'm going to be honest, it felt like it did not pay off at all. No, they no. Were just, I- like, they were just, like, fodder. It was just, like, they were background. Yeah, I mean, they... I I enjoy some tongue-in-cheek self-awareness in comics. I do. Mm-hmm, but? Uh, but it felt a little heavy-handed to flat out say, now it's time for the fight scene. Like, I think that line was literally on the page. I, I think you're right. There was something like that in a, fan- a Fantastic Four I read recently, and it was way better. Mm-hmm. I think it was a joke like... Um, Johnny Storm was saying that somebody hadn't actually ever been part of the Fantastic Four. And there was, there was like a page later, something about like, Johnny doesn't know what in canon means or something. Oh. And it was, for some reason, that hit me more than now it's time for the fight scene because it was almost like throwaway dialogue. Right. Right. Little details like that is fine, but like, now it's time for the fight scene. I could, if there was a character whose gimmick, like, let's say there was a villain whose gimmick is that they're, like, very theatrical. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. And they, I feel like they maybe tried to make Clarion feel that way with this whole bum-bum-bum thing, but mm-hmm. other than just seeming like a trickster, I don't... Right, no, we didn't have the theatrics uh, from that. And right. Then, okay, yeah, because it is, 
it is when Clarion the witch man appears and he says, uh, you know, Clarion bum 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 the witch man, one who has no use for pretentious kittens or younger unfortunate incarnations. And now let's have a fight scene. Hey. Uh, Peter David wrote these bookends, and I feel like that's a real Peter David thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a, a, a broken clock is, is is right twice a day, and that's that's Peter David. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong nearly every other day. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm happy with the wrap-up. I feel like the overall purpose of the event was just to, let's understand the teens a little bit better. <laughs> And I, I guess it did that. Did you like the bit in the very beginning of the bookend issue where Tim hangs out with his dad and his dad gets in a dig at Gen X? <laughs> Basically, like, he's like, millennials, totally fine. Unlike those apathetic Gen Xers. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think these the kids are supposed to be millennials. Yeah, like older millennials. I have never tried to put any comic book character into any generational group given the sliding time scale. Yeah, like Kitty Pride is four generations. Right. Well, at this point I feel like she's firmly a millennial and is probably not Gen Z, but who knows, in five years? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Alright, are we ready to get into a fixture of these finales? Our Twitter questions? Yeah, Twitter questions. All right. First up, questions from at Asimov underscore fangirl. Hi, which inverted superhero pair mentor sidekick from the story did you find more interesting? Who's my favorite one? I know my favorite from our first episode was the Batman and Robin. And my favorite from this episode is the Wonder Girls one. But I'm trying to think about between the two of them. I which I like more. I think it was Batman and Robin yeah. for me too, because I think Young Batman for me was written in a more compelling way than Young Diana was. Yeah, mm-hmm. Young Diana was like slightly silly in a way that I would just feel like she wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And two are all teenagers this terrible, or just the ones in this story? What are you talking about? They're not that terrible. You teach teenagers. Very like young teenagers. <laughs> The the ones that seem the most terrible are like the kids that are out of control. Yeah, that's right. True. The JSA JLA like group is like rowdy. Oh yes, rowdy kids, and and that's absolutely how kids are. Yeah, uh, give kids superpowers, it would be a nightmare. Like, can you imagine the chrysalids with superpowers? Oh gosh, the littlest chrysalid. Like, I'm just imagining him with uh with little Jack Jack powers and be awful. We wouldn't have a house. <laughs> Also, just realized an event uh, like this can't quite work in Marvel because most of the heroes don't have sidekicks. True. There's just there's not as much legacy there. Right. There are there are legacy heroes in Marvel. I just feel like that concept looms larger in DC. Yes. You've got like your Wally and your and your your Barry. You've got your um, your Kyle Rayner and your from your Hal Jordan. There's a lot of right. I mean, we still have. You still have some of those pairings uh, in Marvel. You have Wasp. You have Janet and Nadia. You have uh, Logan and Laura and Gabby. True. Wolverine. It's pretty rare that, like, I feel like a lot of these, it does happen. You're right in that it does happen. I don't think it it tends to happen as much with the, like, the biggest, like, 
Like the real headliners? Right. No, the big Marvel characters don't get like a sidekick. Like Wolverine, yes, is a big Marvel character, but Laura and Gabby have never been his sidekicks. Right. And for most of his history, that was not the case. Whereas most of, well, not the Young Justice people are not, are actually specifically not the sidekicks. Right. The sidekicks is a whole other thing. They're kind of, yeah, that was mostly like the Teen Titans were like Mm -hmm. the original sidekicks. And these are just, like, kid versions of the Justice League in a lot of ways, right. but not fully. I guess Mar- Marvel has that with Spider-Man, but they're still not – I mean, we have – Spider-Man's so different because that – I feel like Spider-Man now, as opposed to – now, that's not to say there is not a Peter-Miles cool relationship between a bit of a mentor figure right. and uh, a, a student figure, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the way that Marvel has really done Spider-Man recently – as a whole is like, is that I think the movie encapsulated the, it the best by saying anyone can wear the mask. You mm-hmm. can wear the mask. Meaning that it, like Spider-Man is, is anything. We've also got Hawkeye. That's true. Now the, those were a lot of those characters, not miles. A lot of those characters were young Avengers, which was basically young justice. Mm-hmm. Like it was. Yeah. We have young Avengers. We have the West coast Avengers. We, we've right. had, we have, we've had some teen groups. Yes. You mean, you were referring, of course, to the 2010s West Coast Avengers, not the 80s, which is a very different thing. Yes. Okay. So, we do have some of this teen representation in Marvel, but it's not the same dynamic. Yeah. So, when I was a a kid, uh, I mostly got my superheroing through cartoons. Mm Mm-hmm. Batman had a sidekick. Right. Now, it's funny, because Superman actually doesn't. Superman is... Superman, like, never has a sidekick. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, Wonder Woman's sidekick is not... It's interesting. Maybe maybe, maybe uh, there aren't as many sidekicks as, as we think. Flash and Kid Flash. Batman and Robin, I feel like, was that, if I recall correctly, was, like, the first I mean, big sidekick. Yeah, Batman and Robin, it's, like, it's a DC flagship. That's why we think DC uh-huh. sidekicks over Marvel sidekicks. Yeah. DC's most popular character has a sidekick. Right. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Who would you say is Marvel? Spider-Man is Marvel's most popular yes. character. It's never had anything I would consider a sidekick. Even yeah. the stuff with Miles is not... It doesn't ring to me as hero sidekick. It reads to me as, like, a, mm-hmm. more of a mentor. I mean, we've had, like, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, but those also aren't a sidekick. They're they're more like... They're like, they're a, like roommates. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You mean... I keep thinking about things that you're not thinking about. No, you're, I'm not thinking the young, like, Spider-Man. You're thinking the 80s I, uh, cartoon. Yes, the original is what I'm talking about. With Firestar about. and Iceman. Yes. yes. Yeah, they just hung out. They were like Three's Company. A little bit. <laughs> Come and dance on our floor. <laughs> Three's Company, but gender reversed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next question from at MattLaz1013. Which adult hero should have stayed a kid and which kid hero should have stayed an adult? We should have let... You know, a secret, stay an adult. Yeah, I think that's fine. Which adult hero should have stayed a kid? I think Aquaman should have stayed a kid. Yeah? I kind of like... I didn't like the, like, what's up, babes, or whatever. But I I, I feel like if you would have embraced a more goofy surfer vibe, it would have been fun. Yeah. All for goofy super... All for goofy super... Surfers. Surfers. Super Surfer is my very favorite knockoff of Silver Surfer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And 
At Arthur Stacy asks, Fave of the Seven Deadly. He means he's referring to sins. Hmm. I don't think the sins of youth are necessarily the seven deadly <laughs> sins. <laughs> yeah, the, the sins that because we saw the sins that we saw in uh, last episode's issues were not even the seven just, deadly. They were sins. just like this next one is uh, not trying hard enough. <laughs> um, but mine's gonna be gluttony because I like food. Yeah, <laughs> and it seems like the least bad one. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like monopolizing food is obviously not good. I just, you know. What's my favorite of the seven deadly sins? I think I like pride the best. Mm. I mean, it's the most interesting in a story, I think. Yeah. Uh, I have a terribly embarrassing story that I feel like I need to share with the readers. I had seven guy friends in high school, or six guy friends in high school, so seven including me, and we all assigned ourselves a sin and called ourselves the seven deadly sins, and we thought we were very cool. Readers, I have never heard this story. I and told you this story. Readers, I do not remember this story. <laughs> Chris, which were you? I was Envy. Oh. Mm-hmm. Huh. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it didn't always make sense. For the <laughs> Maybe you were just Envy because E for Edelman. We would, uh, we had a little like uh, 7DS thing and we'd write it on board on like people's chalkboards and stuff. Oh my gosh. It's very, it's very, very silly. I probably took it more seriously than anybody else, too. No, I understand it so much. <laughs> like, I named friend groups and gave us all nicknames, too. <laughs> and everybody else was like, okay, Christy. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was. That was about the long story. Yeah, I remember you. You had the. You had a group called the Fish Bowls. Yes, I'm sure they. They were like, sure. <laughs> I didn't know you came up with that. Uh, it was. It was a little bit a collaborative of a name, but like I was like, no, we need a name, and also like we gave everybody names, and we did some light rituals. Uh-huh. Just some light. Just <laughs> a little bit of cult stuff. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I was heavily, heavily influenced by The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and The Divine Secret of the Aya Sisterhood. Those sure. movies both came out around the same time, and I read the books, and I was like, clearly, this is the blueprint for female friendships. We need to exchange blood. I don't think we did that. <laughs> <laughs> I did that when I was a little kid once. Like blood, like a blood promise or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, next question comes from at Robert Secundus, who says, are these youths sins mortal or venial? I'm going to say pretty venial. Venial, yeah. Although, what was it? Ar- Arrowhead almost killed a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and so does Superboy. But frankly, wrecking, wrecking Mount Rushmore, I do not care. Right, no. Yep. Uh, at Eddie underscore piss asks, would you in your 30s rather be turned into a teen or an old? this is hard i kind of like being in my 30s yeah i would like i could be like 23 again that would be fine yeah i i could not be a teenager again i i don't know i mean i feel like could i be retired because that sounds yeah like can we just jump ahead to the retired age like whatever that age is (laughs) and then like just assume that we've done all the work that we need to do. Like, now I can file for Social Security. Oh, that sounds good. Great. Okay, olds it is. 
Imagine being a teen right now. Sounds awful. This sounds like of all the of, of the entire time period in which you and I were alive. I feel like this is the worst time to be a teenager. Yes. Yeah. I mean, teenager in a pandemic. I think about all the things that I did as a teenager and all the things I love to do. Would have. Oh, ran like been. ran like randomly hanging out places. I love to do it all the time, and that is this is like mm-hmm. you, it is a risky activity now. Right. Like I yeah I liked hanging I liked like doing hangouts late staying over at people's houses late I liked doing theater. You know, one thing that I still could do. Uh, I had a friend, we loved to plan uh, scavenger hunts. We planned group parties, scavenger hunts. Now, that did involve, like, going in cars and going different places, but a lot of the things were outdoors, and, like, you had to take pictures of yourself doing different things, and, uh, like, then you'd all come back and, like, share your video scavenger hunt. And I feel like that's that's something that could still be done today, and probably pretty easily with everybody having like cell phones that record media now yeah sounds way easier mm-hmm. readers we didn't smart smartphones did not exist until we were in college i think mm-hmm. the, i didn't uh, even have one until after we were married i didn't have one in college i got my first one uh, just before we were married just before we were married mm-hmm. i remember i was i was i was jealous like it was like right before we got married because you were like getting on my phone or we were getting on the same phone plan yeah yeah and you got like this smartphone, and I was like, "Huh? Well, look at that! Yeah! Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that wraps up all of our Twitter questions. So, are we ready to get into some accolades? Sure, accolades. All right, so let's start off with the best line. What do you think the best line was? The best line comes from from the PR man, Ted Barton, who -hmm. says, Ted Barton fears metahumans, but is secretly ashamed at owing you so much. (laughs) My best line comes shortly after that, uh, because after that, the PR guy says, Ted Barton wonders why so many of you wear your underpants on the outside of your clothes, uh, which is not the best line for me, but the best line comes uh, then from Flash as so the, it, the adult, it, the kid Flash, kid but Flash, it, but who is really adult? So Wally, 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 who is a kid? Wally, as a kid, yep. says, "You ever been three feet from dark side? We wear them on the outside so we don't soil them." <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I love it. <laughs> we just soil the pants that way. <laughs> oh, dark side. You haven't read any comics with dark side in it. I feel like I have. Have you? Maybe. I oh, don't know. Crisis. He's barely in it. Okay. I love. Is at least you you know you know that one. <laughs> uh, all right. What about the greatest hero? Secret for choosing to go back to being a teen, even though she really didn't want to, and she really grew as a person and learned a lot about herself in the process of being an adult. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I like that one. It's not mine. Mine I gave to Cassie, and I think I gave mine to Cassie the last episode too. But I feel like a lot of Similar reasons to what you talked about. She grew a lot as a person as becoming in becoming an adult, but she was already she was already pretty together. But specifically to her for thinking outside of the box in problem solving and uh, for instead of cutting and running when she could have to 
regain, or, you know, to, to set things right, to have um, Apollo, was it Apollo, mm-hmm. set things right? You know, she recognized that like uh, Superman and Superboy needed them, mm-hmm. and that you know they had to they had to surrender, they had to give up their easy way out. It's true. So, gay for the ladies being great heroes. Yep. What about the coolest moment? Mine was the peekaboo coming to life, like the Pikachu pastiche, and it's like peekaboo. Yeah, I couldn't decide if I liked it or not. I, I I'm gonna be honest. It's not that cool. I just like I didn't think anything else was right. really cool. It was. It felt like it was trying really hard to get me to like it. <sighs> Boy, was it like the whole like. It's 2002. Let's put Pokemon in a comic. At least it's funny in that Pokemon has become somewhat timeless. So, mm-hmm. like they they picked a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my coolest moment I gave to uh, when Diana started speaking Greek. That that uh... to me that it was such a twist for me in an event like tie in to have. I I just I just love. Alternate methods of problem solving from fighting, and I was I was not expecting it or anticipating it, and it just landed really cool for me. Mm. All right, there's a lot of silly villainy stuff happening. Uh, mine went to Apollo for like he had no skin in the game; he just wanted to be a jerk. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Like he sends them on a on a mission like set up for failure, and rats them out. For just just for funsies, just because he's a jerk. I love that this portrays Apollo as a jerk. So you read that? You probably had that big illustrated book of Greek myths. Mm-hmm. We all had it. It's, I, I, it's like D apostrophe something. Dabri Dabrilers. I don't know. I had a paperback book I stole from the shelf of my sixth grade teacher. <gasps> Christy. Well, anyway. Apollo and that was always like, oh, look at Apollo. He's the god of light and music and everything. But it would never portrayed him as like a real jerk, I feel like. And I'm like, this guy would be a jerk if he existed. <laughs> He's the god of too many things. <laughs> I know you haven't read much Lore Olympus. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've heard of Lore Olympus. Yeah. Um, so that, that whole deal is like the Greek gods, but it's got more of a modern spin, even though they're all still gods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Apollo's the worst. He is the worst. The absolute <laughs> worst. And I'm like, I, I love it. I love when they make Apollo bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I gave mine uh, to the... So Connor is confronting the the agent that killed his, his girlfriend. Uh-huh. And he calls her a murderer. And she says, Now, now, murderer is such an ugly word. I prefer murderess. Uh. Right? Right? What? Bad. <laughs> Bad, silly line. So, Christy, uh, the Key of C Award is the award that we give to a moment that we most feel deserves a musical number. Mine is the entire Flash issue. I felt like it would have been fun. <gasps> oh, racing between all the places yeah, and all the different. I'm just imagining like mm-hmm. the same people on stage playing the news people, but they keep switching it around. So like the cameraman suddenly like takes off his hat and he's the anchor. And... I'm getting a lot of Chicago vibes here, like the press brum, conference. Brum, brum. Yeah. <laughs> Did I ever tell you once um, for our dress rehearsal, we were supposed to have a doorbell, but someone had forgotten to put in the sound effect CD and they had sold their Chicago CD in, <laughs> sort of the dress rehearsal. It was like, 
Wah, wah, wah. And that, <laughs> that was our was doorbell. Our doorbell. <laughs> That's fun. It's great. Uh, well, I gave my key of C to the circus scene that we had in uh, Secret and... Um, oh! Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty ripe for a musical number. Right. Absolutely it is. And... Good Hugh Jackman. Suddenly it's the greatest show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Show men. Uh, isn't there, isn't there a the, song? I think says? the song is the greatest show, Thank but the, the movie is the greatest showman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So circus number just seemed like easy, easy theater bait there. Yeah. So... Let's go down with the ship. Who do you ship the most in this? It does not have to be romantic. Uh, mine is not romantic. It is uh, Superboy and Superman. Oh, because they, they they had a bro down. They did. They did. While I enjoyed um, Cassie and Diana quite a lot, Diana was still... Like, that issue to me was more about Cassie's growth than yeah. it was about their relationship. And I feel like the the relationship that we have there with you know, Superboy surrendering surrendering to save Clark. Just it's good. Good good job, Connor. Uh, mine is Doiby and the Princess. Oh yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I love Jadoiby Dickles. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. So That's good. a good ship. I support. I love that he like goes in there, has to steal something, and then pieces out, and she's still like, "I love you." On his way, it was, <laughs> oh. love it. <sighs> Okay, I've gone really outside of the box here for the goodest hit. Okay, hit me. Goodest hit me. So, for me, this is the goodest hit that didn't. Okay. When Connor looks like he's about to go and, like, absolutely obliterate the agent that killed Tana. And he, he like, grabs her when she, after he was, like, like, like her head was about to be, like, slammed into the ground. Yes. So he lifts her up over his head, sl- like, slams her down towards the ground and stops her just short of her face smashing into the concrete. Mm-hmm. And he says, if I have to live uh, knowing the life Tana and I could have had, then you get to live knowing the death you could have had. Whoa. And it was just, like, it was kind of, it was a cool, cool line. I... I didn't. Peter David, broken clock, right twice a day. Sure. <laughs> this was this was the second time he worked for me. <laughs> you got two. So my goodest hit was when Clarion just casually obliterates his clone. Yeah, that was pretty good. It was great. Mm-hmm. He's just like. Uh, he also said something like that. I he wouldn't suffer this witch to live. The thou shalt not suffer a witch to live is from the Bible. Yes. So getting getting, getting biblical twice. Getting biblical in the way that, uh, like, Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that guy, <laughs> just like, boom, gone from the earth. Oh, well, that, readers, brings us to the close of this episode. Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah, uh, this was a fun one. Thanks again, Christian, for requesting this one. This is our final listener request episode. Mm-hmm. It's the final <laughs> countdown. It is. Uh, this is our this is our tenth from the last episode. Oh my goodness! Yeah. It's the countdown. It is the countdown. Uh, so next time we are going to be covering one of my very favorite crossovers and the culmination of I think like three decades of storytelling. Mm-hmm. We're going to start off Infinity Gauntlet coverage by reading Thanos Quest. Hmm. I am. I am excited for this very uh, Chris-directed 
back half oh. final countdown of things. Yeah, there's, I mean, this there's is, like this two is... episodes that I am not like personally curating. Mm-hmm. Chris has always had these little babies of before we finish the podcast, I need I have to make sure we cover this mm. and this is what we need to cover for the final. So I'm I'm excited for this guided tour through Chris curated content. And then that's just gonna be that. <laughs> gonna end the podcast on a sour note. Never. <laughs> All right, well readers, that's gonna about do it for us. If you need to find us on the internet, we are at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can send us long form messages at Chris's on Infinite Earths at gmail.com. You can support us financially. We have a, a much abbreviated Patreon these days, but we'll still shout you out on the show. And we always have a Kofi. Those links are going to be in the show notes. And until next time, readers, slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>